You're listening to audio from the archive of Highland Baptist Church. For more information about Highland, go to hbcwaco.org. Blessings to you all. You may be seated. If you find your copy of God's Word with me this morning, please. We're in a series called The Conquerors, and it's a true statement that all of us will either be conquered by life or we'll be conquerors in life. Thus, we are studying the conquerors of the Old Testament that we might see perhaps some of their characteristics that we can repeat in our lives, or sometimes, as we will see today, some characteristics that we do not want to repeat in our lives. With your Bible, would you turn with me, please, to the fourth chapter of the book of Judges, Judges chapter 4. If you're new to church or new to the Bible, Judges in the Old Testament, it should be about the seventh book in, Judges chapter 4, if you'd turn there with me, please, and begin in verse 1. We actually read today about three main characters, two of them are ladies and one of them a man. Judges chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. After Ehud died, Ehud, you might remember from two weeks ago, was our conqueror, our hero. Uh, He was the left-handed man who had the knife on his right thigh that went in and and killed the Moabite king Eglon, so there might be freedom in Israel, and there was great freedom for for 80 years. In that midst of 80 years of freedom, Shamgar that we looked at last week, he was attacked by a group of Philistines, a terrorist in the land, Uh, He uh, slayed all of them uh, with just, of course, an ox goad. It was not a weapon of warfare. It was a piece of farm equipment that God used to to free his people and to continue to bring peace to the land. So Ehud has now died. The Israelites once again did evil in the eyes of the Lord. That is the repetition of the story. That's the theme of what's happening over and over again. It's the cycle of God's people, not only the Old Testament, but seems to be God's people today as well. Once again, they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin. Now, Jabin is not a proper name. Uh, Jabin means a king, much like we might use the word uh, Pharaoh or the the word Caesar. Uh, Jabin would be more of a general term, not a specific name of a person. But he, he sold them. God sold them into the hands of Jabin, a king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. Uh, now, Hazor is still there today. You can go to the Sea of Galilee and head about 10 miles north, and there you see the tell, or the remains, the remnant of the Old Testament town of Hazor. And so archaeologists, they have discovered this town already. It's about, again, 10 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Herosheth Hagoyim. Um, this will be my last little definition of words here. Herosheth Hagoyim means the Gentile forest. Hagoyim means Gentile, Herosheth Uh, means the forest. And so Sisera, uh, the commander, uh, he was living up there in this Gentilian forest, the forest of the Gentiles. Because he had 900 iron chariots and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years, they cried out to the Lord for help. Remember, that's the cycle we have. Uh, God's people, they disobey. God responds. How does God respond? He literally sells them into the hands of of this king. Uh, This king, again, the general name of Jabin, a king, a Canaanite king, The people now respond. Uh, They call back out to him. They repent. It says because he was so harsh toward them for 20 years, they cried out to the Lord for help. That's the cycle we see over and over again in the book of Judges. So Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidah, was leading Israel at that time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites came to her to have their disputes decided. She sent for Barak, the son of Abinam, 
of Abinoam from Kadesh and Naphtali and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go and take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun and lead them on the way to Mount Tabor. Let's stop real quick because the people have rebelled, God has responded, the people have repented, and now God calls up a rescuer. And for the first time in the book of Judges, our rescuer is not a man, it's a lady, a woman by the name of Deborah. Sometimes people read this, Deborah, a prophetess. And they wonder, what in the world is a prophetess? If you grew up in a pretty traditional, stoic background, that might make you, make you have a little concern this morning. Wait a minute, we're going to read about a prophetess this morning in, in church. What is a prophetess? Well, you need to know that there are nine female prophets, or nine prophetesses, if you will, uh, in the Bible. Four of them in the Old Testament, five of them in the New Testament. We have Miriam is the very first one, a prophetess. She's the sister of, of Moses. Then we have Deborah right here. There's another lady in the Old Testament. Her name is Huldah. And Huldah was a prophetess, and she uh, was a prophet during the time of King Josiah. Then we have an unnamed woman, but we know that she is the prophet Isaiah's wife. So we have four prophetesses in the Old Testament. We have five, actually, in, in the New Testament. Anna, or Anna, uh, in, the, in the New Testament is a prophetess. And then Philip, who was one of the very first deacons, he had four daughters. And all four of them were prophetesses. I imagine it was a tough life for him. Can you imagine if all four of your daughters are always telling you what you should be doing? So he had four daughters. Some of you have those four daughters, don't you? Four daughters that were prophetesses. And so we have nine female prophets, if you will, four in the Old Testament and five in the New Testament. And so Deborah is referred to here as, as a prophetess. And so just I want you to understand it's not a mystical word. It's not an unknown word. It should not cause a conservative evangelical church any concern uh, that Deborah was a prophetess. A prophet or a prophetess, all they would do, and it's a beautiful thing, a powerful thing, but in simplicity, they would take God's word and apply it to God's people. That's really the simple definition of what a prophet or a prophetess would do in the Old Testament and the New Testament. They would take God's word, they would hear from God, and they would apply God's word to, to people, sometimes to God's people, and then oftentimes to those who were not God's people as well. Now, the only thing you don't see in the Bible, Old Testament or New Testament, is a priestess. You see a prophetess, but you don't see a priestess in the Old Testament or in the New Testament. The only time you see a priestess is in a pagan religion in the Bible. Now, I'll let that sink in for a second with you. I understand that this sermon today might offend some. Anytime you look at God's word and you start to see biblical manhood and biblical womanhood, some people get a little frustrated and emails start getting fired off to the pastor at about one o'clock on Sunday afternoons. And so I'm just going to say this this morning. There's a possibility that this sermon might offend you some. My great hope today is to offend everybody here. That'd be great. I'll be an equal opportunity offender today and just try to offend all of us with God's word because God's word sometimes does that to us. When God's word corrects us, there are times that it offends us. And this morning, I just want to go on record of saying this may not be a politically correct message, but my Lord, I hope it's a biblically correct message this morning. So let our hearts be open to what God's word has to say to us because we see a wonderful lady this morning. She is a Godward woman. It is who God calls up to lead and to judge Israel at that time. If you're taking notes this morning, you should find some notes inside of your, inside of your bulletin that you received when you walked in. And here's my first statement today. This lady, Deborah, she judged in sweetness. She judged in sweetness of heart, sweetness of of character. 
It's interesting that when Deborah identifies herself, she does not identify herself as some warrior or some uh, um, princess. She does not identify herself as a G.I. Jane soldier. In fact, she identifies herself as a nurturing mother. If you're in Judges chapter 4, go over one page to Judges chapter 5 with me. Look at Judges chapter 5, verse 7. This is a song, really it's a duet that, uh, that Deborah and Barak will sing together. And listen to how she identifies herself in Judges chapter 5, uh, verse 7. She says that village life in Israel ceased. They ceased until I, Deborah, arose. I arose as a mother in Israel. And so here, Deborah identifies herself as a nurturing lady. She does not identify herself as a warrior or a bloodthirsty judge. She identifies herself as a nurturing, loving mother. This lady, Deborah, or actually in Hebrew, Deborah. Deborah judged in a sweetness and in a kindness about her. In fact, her name, Deborah, some of you may know this if your name is Deborah, I have a daughter named Deborah. The name Deborah means honeybee. Interesting that she judged in sweetness. She judged as a mom, as a nurturing mother. Her very name means a honeybee. So this is a lady that ruled with a kindness of spirit, a nurturing character, a nurturing heart about her. The name Deborah actually means honeybee. In Israel, even today on Thursday afternoons, young men are taken to the wailing wall where they receive their bar mitzvah, their son of the command or son of the commandment. It means that they are now responsible for the Word of God. They're now responsible to uphold the commandments of, of God. And if you're to go to one of these bar mitzvahs on a Thursday afternoon uh, there in Jerusalem, there at the Wailing Wall, you will see a dividing wall between the men and the women. And so as this young teenage boy is brought to the Wailing Wall and the commandments and some of the scrolls and the Torah are placed into his hand because he is now responsible to obey the commands of God, the ladies are on the other side of the wall and they're throwing things at the young men. They're throwing candy sweets, throwing it over the gender dividing wall there at the wailing wall, throwing candy to the other side. Now, why do they do that? It's a reminder, I believe, all the way back to Deborah, but certainly a reminder of the sweetness and the grace that a lady brings into the life of humanity. The sweetness and the kindness being brought into the family. They will throw candy over that gender dividing wall even today on a Thursday afternoon, reminding them of the sweetness, the kindness, the nurturing nature of a lady. But also they throw that candy to remind those young boys and to remind their family of the sweetness of God's word. It's like honey to our lips. And Deborah, this honeybee, she judged in in sweetness. She was reminding the people of this nurturing heart that she had for the people. And I just put in my notes, and this isn't necessarily a biblical statement today. It's just a John Durham statement, so I'll go ahead and make it. Nothing is more beautiful than a sweet, kind-hearted lady, in my opinion. Thank you, Tom. You, you married one yourself. Nothing is sweeter and kinder than a kind-hearted, nothing is more beautiful than a kind-hearted, sweet lady. Now, I might say just the opposite is true as well. Nothing is uglier than a mean-mouthed, angry woman. And here, Deborah said, some of the men were too afraid to say amen just then, but I know you, you had it somewhere deep down in your heart that you wanted to say that. Here is Deborah. She is ruling in this graciousness. She is ruling in this sweetness. She is ruling with the, the thoughts of the heart or the character of a mom, a nurturing, loving mom. She judged in sweetness. The second thing I want you to see is that she judged in God's presence. 
She judged in the presence of God. Look back in your Bible. Look at Judges chapter 4, verse 5. Look where she is. She is holding court under the palm of Deborah, under the palm of Deborah, between Ramah and, and Bethel, or Bethel in the hill country, the Ephraim. She was holding court under the palm of, of Deborah. Now, in the Old Testament, the palm tree has great significance. It either means victory or it means salvation. In Psalm 92, the, the psalmist wrote that the righteous will flourish like like the palm. It's a, a statement of victory, a statement of success, a statement of, of salvation. When Jesus came in on the east side of Jerusalem, coming down the Mount of Olives on that day we remember as Palm Sunday, the men and women were waving these palm branches in the air. It was a declaration of them asking for the salvation from, from God. You can go to Capernaum even today, also on the north side of the Sea of Galilee, and go to the synagogue. And there in the synagogue, there are all these, these pictures, these engravings of of palm trees. It's a statement of victory. It's a statement of salvation. You can go all the way to the end of the Bible, the book of Revelation, and the men and women of God are dressed in white, and they're standing before the throne of God, and they're waving palm branches back and forth, and they are saying salvation belongs to our God. So all throughout the Old Testament, the, the palm tree was a picture of victory, a picture of the, cel- the, the, the salvation of God and the presence of God, and that is where Deborah held court. They're in the victory of God. They're in the presence of God. Do you notice the two places, the two cities that she ruled between? She ruled between Bethel, which means the house of God. Anytime in the Old Testament and New Testament, you see that word Beth, it means house. And so Bethlehem is the house of bread. Uh, Beth Shemesh is the house of the sun. Bethany is the house of the, of the fig. Beth Shan is the house of, of rest. And, and here Bethel is the house of God. El, like El Shaddai or El Roy. Um, this is a picture of the house or the presence of God. The other place that she ruled nearby was Ramah. And Ramah is the holy hill of God. I don't want us to get lost in that this morning, that Deborah chose a very wise place to make her rulings. And this is a very practical word I hope I have for everyone here today. She was very wise that she made her decisions in the presence of God. Under the palms, nearby the holy hill of God, nearby the the house of God. It was there that she made decisions for the people of God. And ladies, let me just say to all of you here today, I know that you as ladies, you make daily decisions in your household. You make daily decisions for your children, daily decisions for your grandchildren, daily decisions in your, in your marriage. I just want you to know the best place to make a decision is in the presence of God. And here, Deborah, Deborah, our judge, our hero for the day. She is making her decisions known. She is judging in the presence of God. The third thing I want you to see is that she judged with a good reputation. This lady had a fine reputation. There is no other judge in the book of Judges that has said that the same thing is said about Deborah than any other judges. Look at this with me real quick. Look at Judges chapter 4. Look at verse 5. It's only said of Deborah that she held court under the palm of Deborah, the palm of Deborah, between Ramah, the holy hill, Bethel, the house of God, and the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites came to her to have their disputes decided. That is not said of any other judge in the book of Judges, that the people came to her. All of Israel came to her. To her. Now, why would Israel come to her for her to decide and make the decisions on the disputes? Because she had a great 
reputation. I can only assume that that means when Deborah spoke, her word was golden. I can only assume that means that she was not a gossip, but she had a great reputation. She was trusted. She was trustworthy. Here's the woman that God calls up to be the rescuer of that day. And she was good on her word. Her speech was pure, and she lived with a good reputation. Ladies, you can look at the life of Deborah, and you can mimic the qualities of a conqueror in her. She was kind. She ruled in sweetness. She judged in God's presence. She judged with a good reputation. But here's the interesting thing to me. Number four, she led reluctantly, desiring instead to defer to the man. She was a reluctant leader. In, in many ways, she deferred or she desired to defer for the man, for the man to be the, the warrior, for the man to be the fighter, for the man to be the general, for the man to, to be the soldier. We're going to see that in the remainder of the story, but I want you to see one thing that's kind of interesting. Look down at Judges chapter 5 and verses 1 through 2. Some translations have different words here, but it's certainly a masculine word that is used. In Judges chapter 5, verse 1, and on that day, Deborah, here's our lady for the day, and and Barak, we'll talk about him in a second, uh, the son of of Abinoam, they sang this song, when the princes, male, masculine, when the princes in Israel take their lead, and when the people willingly offer themselves, then praise the Lord. It's a psalm that Deborah sang. I know some of your translations use the word commander there. It is a masculine word of, of commander. Here in the NIV, other translations, it's that word prince or the princes. When, when the men take their stand, when the men take their lead, and everyone follows through, then Deborah sang this, praise the Lord. Now look at the rest of the story here because she led reluctantly. Look at Judges chapter 4 and jump down to verse 6 with me. We'll read that verse again. So she sent for Barak, and by the way, I'm purposely calling him Barak instead of Barak, just so we're not politically messed up this morning. I'm going to call him Barak. That may save a few emails as well. She sent for Barak, the son of Abinoam from Kadesh and Naphtali, and said to him, the Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, go and take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun and lead them. So this is Deborah saying this to the man, to Barak, you lead them to the way of Mount Tabor. And God says, I will lure Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River, and I, the Lord, will give him into your hands. Incredible opportunity for Barak. But Barak said to her, now to Deborah, if you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. So here's a man, a general, a leader, who has the opportunity to lead. Deborah has heard from the Lord. Then the Lord himself speaks to Barak, passing on this responsibility to a man, to a general, to a fighter, to a warrior, says to to Barak, I want you to take this responsibility and listen to what Barak says. Barak says, now, Deborah, if you'll go with me, I'll obey the Lord. But if you're not going to go with me, I won't go. I call him here in my notes a childish man. Number one, Barak was a weak priest and a childish man. He takes this word from from Deborah. He takes this word from the Lord and says, I will not go. And Keith, I messed you up there in the the booth. Let me go back to verse 9 real quick. Chapter 4, verse 9, very well, Deborah said, 
I will go with you, and this is really important, but because of the way you're going about this, I'm in Judges 4.9, because of the way that you're going about this, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will hand Sisera over to a woman, Deborah says. So Deborah went with Barak and went to Kadesh. Um, in the NIV, it says right there the, that she went with Barak. I think if, in your translation, it says she arose and went with Barak. That means she had to leave her job. She had to leave her position of being a judge. She had to leave what God had called her to do because she asked a man who was a weak man, a childish man. We find out in a second he's a weak priest. He does not want to go, and so she has to rise up from her position and go with him to Kadesh, where he summoned Zebulun and Naphtali. 10,000 men followed him, and Deborah also went with him. So let me say again here, Barak was a weak priest and a, a childish man. Now, how do I know that he was a weak priest? Because of the city that he's from. He's from a city called Kadesh. And Kadesh was one of the 48 Levitical cities. Many of you may know this already, but Israel was wise enough that they spread out their Levitical cities, their, their towns, or their priestly towns, so that no Israelite would have to walk more than 12 miles to hear teaching from a priest. So there are 48 Levitical cities spread throughout Israel. It's almost like a matrix on a map. They were spread out very evenly, very purposefully. That Those Levitical cities were filled with Levitical priests, were filled with priestly men and priestly families. And so the Israelites would go to those priestly cities that they might receive teachings from a priest. So that's the city uh, that Barak is from. He's from the town of Kadesh. And so somewhere, and perhaps he was a priest himself, he certainly would have been of Levitical line, a priestly man trained to be a priest himself. And yet he's a weak priest priest and a childish man. Here's a man who was a priest, trained to be a priest, came from a priestly line, and yet he would not obey God, even though God had already promised him, I will give the army of Sistra into your hands. In fact, you see, if you want to, it's Deborah that actually has to give the command. Jump down to Judges chapter 4, verse 14. Then Deborah said to Barak, go, in other words, it's time for you to lead this army into, into battle. This is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down Mount Tabor and followed by 10,000 men. It was Deborah that had to initiate the battle. It was Deborah that had to turn to Barak and said, Okay, we've set you up. You told me you wouldn't do this unless I came with you. And now you won't even give the command. I'm telling you, Go. And then the army and Barak finally made their way down toward the people of uh, the, the, the army that Sisera was, was leading. Now, Sisera, the, the general, let me give you the rest of the story without reading it. Sisera, the, the general, he comes in, into battle against uh, Barak and the 10,000 men. And the Bible is very clear in verse 15 it was not Barak that won the battle, it was the Lord who won the battle that day. And so all the men of Sisera, they began to, to run, and they were killed by this army that, that Barak was helping to lead with the assistance of, of Deborah. And everyone was killed except for Sisera. And Sisera made his way down to a tent in the valley below. And there in the tent, there was a lady outside the tent. Her name is J.L. We know her name. And J.L. said, would you like to come into the tent, sir? My Lord is actually what she, she calls him. And so Sisera comes into the tent, and Sisera says, may I have some water? J.L. says, no, I'm not going to give you water. I'll give you milk. She was trying to make him tired. I'll give you some milk. You, you lay down. In fact, the Bible even says that she covers him up with, with, with a covering, covers him up with a blanket. And then she grabs a hammer, 
Then she grabs a tent peg, and she runs that tent peg through the temple through the head of Sisera, killing him there in, in that tent. Moral of that story, never go camping with a woman named J.L. Just remember that for the rest of your life. If you do, don't drink the milk, correct? That would be something else I just give you just for some practical advice this morning. In fact, this, this woman, J.L., is so praised in the Bible that there's a song that's sung about her as well. By the way, this was the woman that Deborah prophesied about. Deborah was not saying that the Lord's going to give Sisera over to my hand, this woman's hands, she was saying. Instead, she was saying a woman will take on Sisera. In fact, she was prophesying about the day that J.L. would take that tent peg and run it through the skull of Sisera. If I look at your Bible, this is very interesting. Judges chapter 5, uh, verse 24 through 27. If you're in Judges 4, just go over a page to Judges chapter 5, verse 24. There's a song that's now being sung about J.L. Most blessed of women be J.L., the wife of Heber the Kenite. Most blessed of a tent-dwelling women. He asked for water, and she gave him milk. In a bowl fit for nobles, she brought him curdled milk. Her hand reached for the tent peg, her right hand for the workman's hammer. She struck Sisera, she crushed his head, she shattered and pierced his temple. Verse 27 is such a beautiful passage. At her feet he sank, he fell, there he lay. At her feet he sank, he fell. Where he sank, there he fell, dead. (laughs) Amen, isn't that a great passage right there, a great psalm? I'll see if our worship leaders can lead us in that song next, next Sunday. <laughs> that was the other really hero of the story was J.L., who with great courage called Sisera into the tent and then, of course, killed the, 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 the head of the army that was fighting against, against Israel. But during all of this, Barak is just this weak priest and this childish man never really taking charge, even though Deborah says, I want you to do this. I want you to be the leader. I want you to be the general. I want you to be the man. He reluctantly, after Deborah gave him the charge of go, takes the reins. Verse 2, I believe that Barak missed his opportunity to lead. The lady was trying to defer to him. You, you lead. You be the spiritual leader. You be the priest. You be the general. You be the soldier. You lead. And he missed his opportunity to do so. Men, I think we do this all the time. I think we miss our opportunity to lead our families. I think we miss our opportunity to to lead our wives. I think we so often miss the opportunity to to lead our marriages, to lead our neighborhoods, to lead and serve in our churches, to, to lead and serve in our cities. We know the statistics of athletes. We know lines to movies, and yet we don't hide God's word in our hearts. We spend time, four hours sometimes, watching a football game or five hours playing a round of golf. Or if you're the younger generation, you'll spend that much time on Xbox sometimes in, in one day. And yet, we don't spend time serving Jesus, serving the city, and serving the church. I wonder how many of us men, preacher included, we miss our opportunity to lead. We are following a man who endured a crown of thorns. Uh, We are following the most manly man ever. His beard was ripped from his face. He's the ultimate conqueror. He's the ultimate man. He is Jesus Christ. 
About 100 years ago, a song was written, and ladies, I'm not trying to leave you out. In fact, I might say that the reason the church, capital C, is in a lot of trouble in our nation today is not because of the ladies. It's because of men who will not lead. Because of men who will not serve. Because of men who will not represent Jesus Christ day in and day out. And 100 years ago, that may have been the case as well, because a man by the name of William Merrill wrote these words. Rise up, O men of God. Be done with lesser things. Give heart and mind and soul and strength to serve the King of Kings. Rise up, O men of God. The church for you does wait. Her strength unequal to the task. You rise up and make her great. Lift high the cross of Christ. Tread where his feet have trod as brothers of the Son of Man. Rise up, O men of God. The last thing in your notes this morning is this. If there has ever been a time for men to lead as they should, it is now. Would you bow your head with me, please, as we pray? Father, thanks for your word. It's life, it's freedom, it's joy. It offends us because, God, your word comes and corrects us. May the ladies of this church live their lives in the presence of God with a kindness and with a good reputation. May the men of this church serve their wives and serve the church. It is the bride of Christ. God, thanks for your word this morning. May we mimic those who were strong conquerors. And may we not be found among the list of those who are weak and childish. Your word has gone out. Therefore, God, we want to respond. We want to rightly respond in your presence. Thank you, O God, for your love, your life, your word, your spirit. It is through Jesus Christ that we pray together. Amen.